For more media content from Grace Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, go to gccsatx.com. Been around this church any length of time, you realize that there's no two of us that are alike. There's no two of us that think exactly alike. And you know, it's probably in the best interest of the church that we're not all alike. But when we have differences, that also is fuel for division. It's fuel for quarreling. It's fuel for unrighteous judgments. So basically, what I showed you about, what, three weeks ago, is we're coming upon another section. And in fact, it's the last major section of the book of Romans. It starts in Romans 14.1, goes all the way through probably Romans 15, verse 13. Probably that's the next total section here of Paul's thought. Here's what I did three weeks ago. What we did was we, stand, we, we basically wanted to stand back and look at this whole next section. And what I wanted to do is basically what I called give us a compass. We've got the four points on the compass. And I went through four points that I thought would be very helpful for us to use and have on our compass all the time to navigate us through this forest that lies ahead of us in this next section. I kind of look at it like a woods. It's a forest. We're going we're gonna to dive in and it's made up of all these trees and all these individual truths and things that are said and all these individual verses. But I wanted to stand back and try to help us by giving us a compass that I think is important that, that helps us to keep our direction the whole time that we go in here. And the four points on that compass, which I showed you, were not artificial. They actually came out of the text. One, there is a concept of weak and strong Christians in this section. Two, there's also the idea here of welcoming one another. And that, that occurs at the beginning and it occurs at the end of this section. We are with our strengths and weaknesses to welcome one another. We do all that for the glory of God which we really see wrapped up there in the final verses of this section, which is about midpoint um, chapter 15. And all of this is a putting on of Christ, which Paul really points out, which is, by the way, where we left off in Romans 13, the very last verse. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we put when we have differences and get along in the midst of those differences is for the glory of God and it is an express manifestation of putting on Christ. Well, now we're going to dive into the text today. So I kind of look at it this way. Okay, we've got our compass. We need to remember those points on the compass. They, they help give us bearing as we dive into these woods. But now today what I want to do is, is I, I, I'm going to read for you the first nine verses in just a second. You can follow along with me. But here in these first nine, I, I, what I'm wanting to do is now give you three tools. We've got our compass to keep our bearings. But now I want to give you three tools like a, a shovel and an axe and what else do you need in the woods? A canteen maybe, I don't know. But these are actual tools that we're going to use to, 
to hack our way through these things. Or, or let's say it this way. These are three tools that we need, three necessities that are imperative if we're going to actually figure out how people with differences are going to get along in the same church. So here we go. Let's read. Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now, we have difference of opinions here. We can lay it down as a fact. The church is made up of a lot of people of differing persuasions, differing ideas about a whole lot of things. Think about it. We're conditioned, are we not? Every one of us comes in here with a background. Everyone comes in here with certain religious teachings or traditions. We come with certain ethnic backgrounds. We are largely products of what we've been taught, where we've come from, what we've been exposed to, our ideas, the way we interpret things. We have different slants in the way we interpret things because of the way each of us is programmed. I mean, there's no question about it. Not all of us think the same. Not all of us come to the same conclusions. I can look at something and you can look at the exact same thing and the conclusion you come to is different than the conclusion I come to. Well, how is that? Well, it's because God's designed us differently. And He's brought us through different, different backgrounds, different various cultural, ethnic realities. So, maybe you come to a different conclusion about something than the conclusion I come to. In fact, you, you know... The thing about the thing about the you know what Paul realizes is a reality in the church. He realizes not only are we going to have some differences of opinions, he realizes that it's also going to happen in the church that I look at something and I say, Ah, there you want to know my opinion on that? And the other guy's gonna say, Well, that's strange you came to that opinion because my opinion about it is 100% diametrically opposed to that. How can that be? You think you're a Christian? I mean, God saved me. 
I have the mind of Christ. That's my opinion. What, how in the world can you come to that opinion? And see, what Paul's assuming is that it is possible in the church of Jesus Christ for true Christians to come to exactly opposite opinions about some things. And typically when we come to these opinions, very often we think that they're pretty important things. And so, let me, just let me ask you this. What is the natural tendency? And I'm not saying what is the sanctified tendency. What is the natural tendency for... What's the natural tendency whenever you've got two people that come together with radically different opinions? Argument. Debating. Quarreling. You see it right there in Romans 14.1, do you not? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Why does he say that? Because the natural tendency is to quarrel over opinions. When we have differences, that is the natural, Adamic, innate, fallen, depraved response of men. Men want to be right. Men believe they are right. Men want their way. And so when they come across differences in other people, they want to persuade. They want to be right. They want their way received by others. So man's natural tendency is indeed to quarrel over opinions. We want to be right. And we want to let others know we're right. But here's the thing. Now think with me here. Then God saves us. Oh, He sweeps in on our life and glory to God and we're born again and where all things are made new. And now, we actually come to the point where we see Man, a lot of our opinions we held when we were lost were totally wrong. Totally wrong. We were totally in the dark. Now we see all these things new and God's showing us things and now this book is living it. We come to it. Wow! I understand this now. It was always a closed book before. And so now, as children of God, boy, we've got the light of the Word. We're studying the Word. We, we want to know God's will. We want to see these things. And now all of a sudden, all my opinions are being influenced here. And we pray. And Lord, teach us. And show us what the truth is. Let me tell you. You know what that does? That doesn't make the tendency to quarrel go away. In fact, in some sense, it actually intensifies it. Why? Because now, it's like, hey, before I walked around in the dark and all I shot at people were my opinions and those opinions were all full of darkness. But now I've got light. Now God's with me. Now I pray to Him and He shows me truth. And so, what's this? You've come to some different truth than I have? I've been with the Lord. I've been in His Word. I've been praying. And so if you've come to a different opinion, ah... Must be you're not in the Word. <laughs> Must be you're not quite as spiritual as I am. I mean, maybe I'm a, I'm, I have probably superiority here. And see, we begin to judge one another. And we begin to think, well, maybe that guy does come to my same opinion, but he's just not willing to see it my way because there's some... Sub, at the roots of this, there's sin. That's what it is. He wants to hold that view just because it gives him license to do some sin. He knows it's really wrong. And see, we begin to judge. And we begin to despise. We begin to read, read into things ulterior motives. We say, well, he doesn't get it because he's not capable of getting it. He's dense in the head. 
Or he, he doesn't walk as close to the Lord as I do. Brethren, I mean, I, look, I've heard this. Have you guys ever heard this? I've heard this. Somebody comes along and they say, here's my opinion, and I want you all to know it. Brother, how would you come to that opinion? I was reading in the Word of God, and I prayed about it. And, and that's what God told me. And, and I prayed about it, so I'm right. And you guys all just need to get on my bandwagon. But you see, Paul comes in here and says, don't quarrel over these things. Don't quarrel over opinions. Okay, here it is. I've got three tools for us. Three tools. Now look, I read to you the first nine verses. If you look at these nine verses and you say, there's more in there than what we get out of the sermon today, you're absolutely right. I am going to hit on some things that I think are imperative for us to give attention to, and I'm trying to draw from the text here, and I'm not getting everything. And But we're not done here. We're going, to, we're going to be revisiting this a number of times in the upcoming week. So don't, don't be all fretful if you, don't, if you don't, don't get the full picture. But what I want to do is I want to give you three tools that are imperative to us as we try to live together with differences. Here's the first one. How do we get along when we disagree? Here's the first thing we need. Brethren, we need discernment. The preacher says in Ecclesiastes, for everything there is a season. A time for war and a time for peace. Brethren, when we have differences of opinions, Paul says in verse 1, look at it there, you can all see it in verse 1, he says that we should not quarrel over opinions. But let me tell you this, there is a time to quarrel over opinions. You say, hold on, how do you get that? He says, don't quarrel over opinions. He's under divine mandate. He's inspired of God. How can you now stand back and say, there is a time? Well, because in another place, Paul says there is a time. So we always want to take things in context. Folks, we need discernment. If you just jump forward to Romans 16, look there at verse 17 with me. It ought to be real close to where you're at right now. Look what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch. You know what that watch is? There's our discernment right there. Watch. What does he mean? Just keep your eyes open, look across the street over here? No, the idea is you're to be looking for something and you're to discern that something when it comes around. What are we supposed to watch for? Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Okay, what happens when somebody comes around with an opinion that's diametrically opposed to the doctrines that are taught in this church? I mean, the foundational truths of our Christianity. When somebody comes in and according to their opinion, it's different. Does it say don't quarrel? You know what it says? It says watch out for them and it says avoid them. We should despise those kind of people. We should have an attitude. We should quarrel. We should fight then. Listen, when our church was meeting over here on Hackberry, 
One day, Carlos came to me and he said, Brother, there's, there's been this guy that stands over by the door all the time. And I, I know I've told some of you at least about this before. He said that the, the guy's over there and he's talking to people. And he's, hand, he's giving his own tracks. Now, I don't remember. Maybe Carlos does better than I do. But I think that the tracks were basically teaching a way of salvation that was by works. Okay, when Paul comes along and he says, he says, Brethren, don't quarrel over opinions. Is he saying, well, that guy over there at the door has got the opinion you can get to heaven by works. Our opinion is that we get there by the merits of the living Christ. Well, that's his opinion. This is my opinion. Paul says don't quarrel over it. So we'll all just be happy together. Brethren, I assure you that is not what Paul means by what he says in Romans 14.1. In Galatians 1.7, he says, There are some who trouble you and, I want, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. You know what Paul says? If somebody comes in with a different opinion on this level, I want them accursed. I'm not saying to receive them. I'm not saying to welcome them. I'm not saying to not despise them, not argue with them. I'm not saying to receive them at all. I'm saying I wish that they were accursed. John hits the same head. 2 John 1, verse 7, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. There are those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now look, watch yourselves. Interesting, isn't it? He says exactly the same thing that Paul says to the Romans. He says, watch. And then what does he say? So that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in this teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home or give him any greeting. You know what Paul says? Paul says, watch out for them and avoid them. John says, watch out for them. Don't receive them. Now what is it Paul's saying in Romans 14? He's saying these folks we should welcome when there's a difference of opinion. You know what that tells me right there? It tells me that we've got two categories that we better be discerning about. Right? You've got opinions that fall into one category where we do welcome the people with these varying opinions, and we've got another category that if somebody comes in with an opinion in that category, we don't welcome them. So might we say, we've got one category that is non-essential, and one category that is essential. Can you all see that? And I'll tell you this, strong churches are churches that have discernment to know where that line falls. Brethren, this is key. This is key. When I was a young Christian, I remember I didn't know anything. I came out of a Catholic background. I came to this big church. I thought, why well, it was a big church building. I thought, wow, God must be in this place. And I went in, and suddenly, I was surrounded by people who were saying that, that you know, you've got this opinion that, that repentance 
is necessary. But most of us have this opinion that repentance is not necessary. And in fact, that pressure was even coming upon me from the, the pastors in that church. Don't quarrel over that. Don't make an issue out of that. Okay, we need to ask ourselves this. Does it fall into the essential category? Does it fall into the non-essential category? Folks, Jesus Christ says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Is repentance something that if somebody has varying opinions, we ought to fight for and even be willing to fight and die for? I tell you, yes. Why? Because it's a life and death situation. Brethren, let me, let me point this out to you. Be, be very clear on this. Look with me at Romans 14.6. Because, look, you've got, you've got to get this. This is so important to getting along in the church when we have differences. So important. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Let me tell you this. Everything that's in the non-essential category has this reality about it. If you do it, you can honor the Lord. And if you don't do it, you can honor the Lord. In other words, things fall into a non-essential category when it's possible to give God glory on both ends of the issue. It's essential when God is only pleased with one end. And with repentance, you perish if you don't have it. A repentance-less gospel is not pleasing to God. And so it doesn't fall in the non-essential. It falls in the essential. That is so key. I was in another church as a young Christian. And I'm telling you, if, you, if your wife didn't wear a head covering and you didn't wear the right kind of clothes and those ladies didn't have the right length of hair and they didn't remain quiet in the services, there was going to be some quarreling. I guarantee if you, if you did not agree with the pastor's convictions on these things, there was going to be some heat. Now brethren, you, you, look, in the one church I went to, they counted as not essential, something that was essential. Repentance. In another church I went to, they counted something as essential that was not essential. And you see, brothers and sisters, this is such the key. This is one of the tools we need. If we don't have discernment here, we're in trouble. We've got to realize which compartment, which category the things that we're being confronted with in others falls into. Now, I'll tell you this. I am very likely next week or the following week going to do a whole sermon on what things fall into each category. That's a dangerous sermon. Very, very dangerous. And there are some things, I'll be honest, 
I don't probably have an answer. And I, I just want to, and if we, if we get in that message, I'm going to tell you the things I know for certain based on biblical authority that fall over here and that fall over here. But there's going to be some things I'm going to tell you I'm not positive. Here's my opinion. They probably fall in this one or in this one. And here's why I think so. But each of us are going to need to sort through that. I'll tell you, if we err on the one side, if we err on making essential what is not essential, we become legalists. We become, we become setting down the doctrines of men for the worship of God. And that is not pleasing to the Lord. But I'll tell you what, if we start making not essential what God says is essential, we're in trouble too. And typically what happens is we lose the gospel. So there it is. That's the first thing. The reason that eating meat and observing days falls into the non-essential is because clearly you can observe days to His glory and you cannot observe them to His glory. You can eat the meat for His glory. You cannot eat the meat for His glory. Well, there you have it. Let's, let's move on to the second thing. That is the first thing. We need discernment. We need it, brethren. The second thing we need. Now, this is going to seem very peculiar to you at first. But hang with me. We need conviction. Might sound odd. Where do I get that from? What do, you mean, what, do we, what do you mean we need conviction? Okay, remember what we're dealing with now. We're dealing with how people of varying opinions get along in the same church. And I'm saying, we need conviction. Well, wait, doesn't it sound like if we really have really strong convictions about things, that that's exactly the fuel for quarreling? Maybe wouldn't it be better if we kind of just pushed our convictions aside? We just kind of didn't really have strong convictions about anything. I'll tell you what, that's not Paul's idea of how you deal with it. Notice with me verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Did you guys catch that? Each one should be fully convinced. Wait, Paul. You're only talking about days and meat. And you're saying we should have strong convictions? Why don't you just tell us, be strongly convicted about gospel, but when it comes to all these side matters and non-essential things, just don't get too bent out of shape over them. Why not tell us that? Why, would he, why in the world would he say, even on the small things, brethren, be convinced? Doesn't that sound backward to anybody? Strike any of you as strange? Now think with me here. Romans 14 is about how we love one another when we come to opposite convictions about non-essential things. Look. I mean, think about it. I've got, I've got brother Joe and brother Bob. Joe, he, he's a strong amillennialist. I mean, he... You know his views on the eschatology? He's studied it. He's prayed about it. He's 
searched and he's read and he's strongly amillennial. But then you got Bob over here. And the guy is, you know how rabid some of those premillennial guys can get? Here he is over here. He's just, his fangs are out. And everybody knows, oh, don't talk to him about eschatology. That's, that's dangerous. Now look, look. Wouldn't it be best if Paul came along and said, Joe, Bob, you know, you know what the real ticket is here? You know what the real key is to success in getting along with your differences? Just put aside your convictions. You know, that's not what he says. He says, be fully persuaded. He wants people in this church fully persuaded of what they believe. Convinced. Fully convinced. Why? He doesn't want a bunch of pansies walking around who are just all wishy-washy about what they believe. He wants people that are convicted. Why? I'll tell you why. Brethren, did you see what he said right here? You know what goes behind these convictions? It's not just whether you observe the day or don't observe the day. It's got to do with what you believe honors the Lord. You know what he's saying to us? He says, I want you people fully convinced about what you believe honors the Lord. And I want you to pursue that with passion and with energy. Because you know what happens when you get a bunch of people who don't have strong convictions? Who just tolerate anything and everything? They're usually people that are not bold for the honor of the Lord. Show me somebody. You know, sometimes people will say to me, well, I'm concerned about this person that wants to join our church. You know, they, they're really strong and they really have these strong convictions. And I look at people like that and I say, those are people God's going to use. Even if they come in and their convictions are different in a number of areas than mine, even in some areas that may make me feel uncomfortable, I know this. People who are under conviction, and they're under conviction because they really want to please the Lord. I'm not talking about people that are just headstrong, who just have ways that they want to impart on other people just to prove they're right. I believe what we've got here is Paul saying, I want people convinced. I want them convicted because I want a people that are full of fire for pursuing what honors the Lord. Even in the small things, I want you convinced. If you're going to have a TV, have it to the honor and glory to the Lord. Not to feed your lust. If you're not going to have one, don't have it. And do it to the honor of the Lord. If you're going to homeschool, then do it with a passion. If you're going to put them in a private school, do it with a passion. But be convinced no matter what you do and how you do it, you're doing what you fully believe is most honoring to the Lord. You know what? Paul is more concerned with the fact that we honor the Lord than that we all do the same thing. Is he not? Is that not what's being set forth here? Paul does not come on the scene and say, what I really want is all of you to think exactly the same way about everything. You see, folks, unity, Christian unity, the primary focus point of Christian unity is not that we're one in all the little meticulous things that we allow or don't allow in our life. What we're one on is pursuing the glory of our risen Christ. 
That's where He wants the unity. And that's where He wants the fire. And that's where He wants the conviction. Brethren, I'll tell you, as a pastor, I can say, when I look at somebody that has an opposite conviction, a lot of times, I, I am not bothered by it if I see they're doing it because they love the Lord and because they really believe that that is a way that's pleasing to the Lord. I remember one time we were in the work down in, down in Stockdale and I go back to this head covering thing. There was a woman there who I knew had a conviction. She believed God wanted her to have a head covering on. And one day she came without it and I said, so has, has the Lord shown you something from, from the Scriptures? And No, I'm still persuaded I should have it on. I said, well, why don't you have it on? Well, because none of you guys do. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't take it off for us. Only take it off for the Lord. Oh, brethren, we need discernment one And we need to be people who are people full of conviction. He doesn't want us soft. He doesn't want us indecisive. He is clear. He wants everyone doing what they are convinced is right more than He wants us doing the same thing. Even if we end up pursuing God's glory in the exact opposite manner. Again, when it comes to the non-essential things. Obviously, he's not talking about things like adultery or things that are clearly declared to be right and wrong in the Scriptures. Brethren, he wants passion. He wants people that are passionate for God. He isn't so much concerned that we all do or don't do the same thing like observing a day or not observing the day. He's interested we're unified in our convictions to pursue the glory of God. Brethren, lay those two things down. We've got to be able to discern properly the two categories of the non-essential and the essential, and we need to be people of conviction. The way to survive together is not to grow cold in our convictions. It may seem like that, but that is not right. And I'll guarantee you this, typically a people that begin to grow cold and indecisive about non-essentials will ultimately what? Grow cold and indecisive about the essential issues. Brethren, we need to be people of passion. Third thing, and the last thing. You're going into these woods. You're going to to try to function in a church where we have differences. Discernment. Conviction. What else do you need? We need the Gospel. Look at what Paul says there in Romans 14.3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Do you see those last four words? God has welcomed him. Right there is gospel reality. God has welcomed him. The the word in some translations is accepted or received. God has accepted. This one you feel like quarreling with, 
this one you're tempted to despise, pass judgment on, God has welcomed this guy because of the very merits of Jesus Christ. He's welcomed him with open arms. You better be careful. Let me tell you something. As I've been looking at this, if you're just coming right now, visiting our church, we started in Romans 1.1. You know what we've seen? The unraveling of one of the most glorious presentations and the fullness of the Gospel in all of our Bibles. But do you know what has hit me? Paul did not give this book primarily because he was interested in presenting us with a systematic theology. What I am realizing after following his flow of thought all the way now through mid-15, which is where I've been studying heavily from 14 to the middle part of 15 recently, Paul's agenda is very pastoral. What do I mean by that? Brethren, you know what he's saying? You've got the two guys, Joe and Bob. You know what he's saying to them? You know, you know how, look, you, you know what happens a lot of times? We get to Romans 14, and it's like two years since we started in one. And it seems like it's long ago and far away. But I'll tell you, when he penned this letter, it was all immediate. He just he wrote that thing, it was coming out when the church would have first read it, it would have all gone together. And what I'm realizing right now is when he started in Romans 1 1, he had this mindset. There is a church, and I want this church to be effective in the spread of the Gospel. And I hope to go through there on my way to Spain. And I want them to be powerful. And I want them to be able to impart something to me that is going to help to spread this Gospel of Christ. And he realizes, but there's a problem there. You've got some tensions. You've got some quarrelings. You've got some people despising one another. Some people that are not welcoming one another. And he says to these two guys that have these difference of opinions. Look, gentlemen. He especially says, now these, these guys, this isn't the eschatological thing. This is eating meat, not eating meat. Observing a day, not observing a day. He says, guys, what are, you, what are you doing? You guys are dealing with something that it's possible to glorify the God who has welcomed you guys from both ends. And what are you doing judging one another? What are you doing not welcoming one another? Let me ask you this. Brethren, I'm gonna, I want to get to the heart of this. This will help you if you get this. Who is the guy that we're supposed to welcome here? Who is it? 
It says God has welcomed him. Who is the him? Who is it? It says it's the one who eats. That's what it says right before it. The one who eats. God has welcomed him. Who is that? Who's the one who eats? Oh wait, now you jump all the way ahead to Romans 15 verse 7 and we have this idea come at us again about welcoming one another. You all see it there? Romans 15 verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another. Now now he's, he's broadening. He's saying, well, whether you eat, welcome the one who doesn't eat. If you don't eat, welcome the one who does eat. But again, who are these people who are eating or not eating? Follow this very carefully. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now pick this up. Verse 8, first word, for. You know what that tells us? That tells us that exactly the way Christ welcomes us is going to be enlarged upon. It's going to be explained. We're going to be helped here. Now watch what He does. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Circumcised? Where'd that come from? You're going to tell us about how Christ accepts us and now you're going to talk about the circumcised? Those are Jews. How'd that get stuck in there? And then in verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. You know what he's saying? Now follow this. How do we get along together when we have differences? Do you know what he says? He says, Joe, my friend Joe, the Jew, Jesus Christ received you. Jesus Christ became a servant for you. Jesus Christ welcomed you to fulfill all those promises made to the forefathers. Gentile Bob. Jesus received you so that you might bring glory to God for His mercy. You, you see, brethren, who eats? The Gentiles. Who doesn't eat? Typically the Jew. Why? You know, the Jews were given the mandate under the Old Covenant. You do not eat anything that's been offered to a pagan god. You don't. They were told not to do it. And you know what else the Jew was told? Even if you do it unintentionally, you're still guilty. You know what happened? They were in Rome. You've got all these, this temple worship. You've got all this pagan worship. And what would happen? All these people would bring their meat to the temple. They'd bring it to the priest. They'd offer all this stuff. Well, you know what? The priests would eat what they need, but what did they do with what was left over? Temple butcher shop right out back. And now, here's the Gentile. And he's like, you know what? I'm not, he doesn't feel all the constraints of the Old Testament law. Concerning the observance of days either. Yeah, the Jew, he was always told, you must keep my Sabbaths. You must have all your male 
People show up in Jerusalem three times a year to observe these festivals. I want offerings at the new moons. But you know what Paul says in another place? He says, look, don't let anybody judge you with regards to food and to drink and to what festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. Why? Because those things... We're only looking forward to future realities. The fullness is in Christ. But the Jew, his conscience was constrained by all of his upbringing, all that he knew from the Old Testament. He was, he was there. And, and, and there was this conflict. You can imagine it. Well, uh, Joe, come on over to eat with me. But he comes over and he's not going to eat. He's scared to death even if he unintentionally eats this meat has been offered. And, the, and, the, and I can imagine it. The Gentile guy I am, I want to be... You know, I'd send my wife down there if the meat was cheaper. Why? Because those gods are nothing. And, and God is the Lord and He owns all the cattle and the meat's His. And, and I want the bargain. Go down there and get it, Ruby. And so Ruby comes with this meat, and you know the Jewish guy is looking at it like it's tainted, and and there there's this there's this friction. And I'll tell you this: Jesus Christ prayed for unity in His church, and there is a pastoral concern with Paul that somehow that church is going to be hindered in the spread of the gospel and helping me to get to Spain. That church is going to that church is not going to be well as long as this quarreling is going on. And what's his appeal? I'll tell you this, brethren. When Paul sees conflict between people, he begins to unfold gospel realities as to our standing with God. And he says, brothers, you guys are quarreling over meat and days. Christ has welcomed you. And when He started this book, you may miss it in just a peripheral reading of the book of Romans. But if you go back and you just notice how many times he says that the truths that he is preaching have to do with both the Jew and the Gentile, you will be staggered. It is everywhere. Why? Because he's been leading somewhere. He's been leading to this very point. And he's saying to Bob and Joe here, the guys quarreling, he's saying, I preach to you a gospel that I am not ashamed of. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Joe, it's the power of God in your life, you Jew. My Greek brother Bob, it's the power of God to you as well. And he begins to move along through the whole teaching. Brethren, I'll tell you this. He sees conflict on this level. And he takes both these guys in conflict and he shows them this relationship. And he says, look at this Gospel that is the power of God for both of you. You're on the same footing. You're on the same ground. You see what happens when we're quarreling, brethren? I guarantee it. Lay it down. We think we're superior to the other guy. Whenever there's quarreling, that's what's happening. And what Paul says, you're on the same ground. You're on the same footing. The same Gospel. In Romans 2, he says, there will be tribulation, distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew 
first and also the Greek, but glory, honor, peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, also the Greek. Why does he keep going on that? Because he's headed somewhere. And I'll tell you where he's headed. He's headed to chapters 14 and 15. And basically he lays down all the full guns of this glorious gospel to show us that all of us that have been saved by it, we're in the same camp, we're on the same side, we're on the same footing, we're in the same place. He's saying, you got there. not one of you is superior to the other. If you die outside of Christ, the tribulation distress is going to be the same for both of you. He says further, all have sinned. All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Who, who perishes without the law? Bob, the Gentile, he didn't have the law. He didn't grow up under it. He didn't grow up under that old covenant. But all who perish under the law, they're going to be judged by the law. You see, Jewish friend, you may have had all this extra light, but if you die outside of Christ, you're going to perish with that light. Joe, you may not have had that, but if you die outside of Christ, you perish without the law. Romans 3.9 He basically comes to the end of his conclusion about the depravity of man. And he says, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Romans 3.12 All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And then when he begins to get to the Gospel, he returns to it after, after Romans 1 in verses 16 and 17. Now he comes back to it again. After he's established that all, both Jew and Gentile, are on the same footing before a holy God, under a holy law, they're all condemned. They'll all perish. They'll perish with their law or without their law. They're all on the same standing. They're all together worthless. They've all done evil. There's none of them that are good. They're all under sin. You're both on the same terms. Don't think yourself superior to one another. Then he dives into this Gospel and he says, but now the righteousness of God with which you must be robed, folks, if you would have glory. The very righteousness of Christ, if you would have it. It's been manifested apart from the law. The law and the prophets bearing witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Why do you think he says that? The same thing again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You jump down to Romans 3.29. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, He will justify the circumcised. There they are again. That's the Jew. By faith. And He's going to justify the uncircumcised through faith. Brethren, when we have conflict in the church, you know what Paul's telling us? Have discernment, have conviction, have the gospel. When there's quarrel, fire the big guns. What's that? Brethren, under the law of God, we are on the same ground. In the sight of a holy God whose wrath 
is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, we're on the same ground. And at the foot of the cross, we're on the same ground. Vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Romans 10, verse 11, the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Brethren, this is really where we need to go if we're going to... Look, very, very, very often it's missed. The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So often that text is looked at as the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation to those who don't believe. And it's the power of God to bring them to belief. It is that. But I don't believe that that is what Paul is exactly saying there. I believe that what he is saying is the just live by faith in that Gospel right now. They're already just. They've already been declared righteous. And they live on the Gospel. And it continues through their life to be the power of God for their salvation that day. And ultimately, they live from faith to faith. The just live by faith. Brethren, this is what we've, it, where we've got, we got to know the gospel. And where you see quarrel, how do we counsel quarreling people? I say we do it the way he does. We remind people that they are on the same footing. The very person that they're fighting with has been received by God. We, we come to the place where we say to somebody, this guy you're fighting with, he's been bought. Listen, God has welcomed him. Jesus Christ welcomed him and he welcomed him through great price to himself. If God has sent His Son to die, the agonies on the cross for Him and for you, then be done with your inappropriate prejudices toward one another. Christ received you both at great cost. <coughs> Brethren, when we've got conflict in the church, we need to take them back to the cross. That's what He does. I believe that's what this whole book is all about. Oh, it's so easy. You know, we kind of proof text the book of Romans. What I mean by that is we've got our, we've got our you know, doctrines we want to uphold, so we kind of spear here and, and jab in here and we pull something out over here. But when you take the whole book of Romans all together, you realize Paul dove into this book with a reason, with a purpose, with a pastoral purpose. And the reason he keeps bringing up Jew and Gentile is because all the way through he's realized this. There's some tension and there's some conflict in that church between these two people with differences. They're genuine differences, but they're over non-essential things. And he wants to show them all the way through. And you know what? In our day, it's typically not the Jew and the Gentile. It may be the black and the white, 
maybe the male and the female, maybe husband and wife. It may be one, one position over against another position. Whatever it may be. Brethren, we've got to unfold Gospel realities. If we're going to live together in unity in this church, and hear me out, this is the power of God unto salvation. And part of our salvation is being saved from our sin to a conformity to Jesus Christ, putting Him on for the glory of God and the power, no doubt comes through the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God sheds His power abroad into the church through the Gospel. And we, that's a whole other study, but we could prove that out over and over and over again. The Spirit of God unleashes His energy into the church where Christ is lifted up. And that is in the message of the cross. It is in the Gospel message itself. It is when Christ is made the central glory in the church. And that's where we've got to take people. And I believe what we can trust there is that when we go discerning with conviction and with the Gospel, we will see power unleashed in this church to overcome our petty differences and our petty prejudices and be able to live together for the glory of God. Solidly defending together the essentials of the Gospel. Well, brethren, there you have it. There's the three tools I want to leave you with. Think on these things, brethren. This is not artificial. I didn't make this up. I believe this is exactly what's coming out. Paul wants us full of conviction. Paul wants us armed with the Gospel. And I'm convinced the very nature of what he says in Romans 14 versus what he says in Romans 16, he obviously would have us be discerning people and know to know which, which section the things that we're confronting in the quarreling in the church fall into. Is it a Romans 14.1 issue or is it a Romans 16.17 issue? Because obviously there is two different categories there. Brethren, I leave you with that. I know we probably went long today, but you're dismissed.